It's a real pleasure to come to a church that has appreciated and received sound expository preaching for that long, and I think in many ways, Pastor Lee and others before him have paved a very bright future to this local assembly to receive the truths of God and to live them. As you know, we've been working our way through the epistle to the Romans, and we have a shorter section of verses this morning intentionally. We're going to look at Romans chapter 11, verses 11 to 15, so I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans 11, starting at verse 11 and reading through verse 15. I'm just wondering, as you're turning to Romans 11, how many of you are parents of more than one child? More than one child. That's a lot of people. Thank you. All right. For those of us who are parents to more than one child, do we ever grant a privilege to a child to promote good behavior? Yeah, I've done that. Do you ever take away a privilege to discourage bad behavior? Yeah, I've done that. Now, what happens for you who parent more than one child? What happens when uh, you take a privilege away from one of your children because they're misbehaving and you give that privilege to another one of your children who's not misbehaving? How does that go? A little, a little strain, right? Because the one you take the privilege away from gets jealous about the one that gets the reward of the privilege, right? That's how human nature is. When someone that you know in proximity to you gets something that you think you are entitled to, then you can get jealous. You can covet the other person's blessing. You can point out the injustice of it all that she has and I don't. Uh, you can run the other person down. Siblings will run down their other siblings if they feel that there's this injustice going on and one's being favored in some way. They'll argue that everybody, all of us should have, a, if anybody has, all of us should have, you know, the whole line of thinking. This morning we're going to move through Romans 11, 11 to 15 by raising a lot of questions and letting the text answer these questions. So we're going to raise a lot of questions and we're going to seek to answer those questions from the scriptures. Spiritually speaking, track with me, spiritually speaking, who was given the first spiritual promise of salvation? Abram, before his name was changed to Abraham. If you go with me to Genesis 12, holding your place there in, in Romans. The first covenant of the Bible that was struck was between God and a man named Abram. All of the covenants of God's scripture are unconditional except the Mosaic covenant or the law. All of the other covenants that God struck with people are unconditional covenants. And this is what God promised a man named Abram who later was renamed Abraham. Genesis 12, one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the first salvific promise made in the Bible. It was made to a Jew named Abram. It was a promise that his own family would be large, that through his family, the other families of the earth would be blessed with salvation. And of course, in his humanity, Jesus Christ was Jewish. And so the first person to be privileged with a promise was Abram, the father of the Jews. 
So if you were a Jew reading the epistle to the Romans, you were having that mindset that we are first class. We fly in first class. And anybody who gets on the airplane with God's salvation, they got to be in coach. And so the great nation that God promised Abram were his descendants that we know as the Jews. And then the subsequent blessing of the Abrahamic covenant was after the Jews would be blessed with salvation, that the non-Jews, you and me, the Gentiles, the goyim, that we could be saved by putting our faith in God's Savior. And to use a word picture that we saw in chapter 11, God's family in that chapter was compared to a tree, but not just any tree, an olive tree, which is prominent to this day in the Holy Land. And now I'm going to read our verses for this morning, Romans 11, 11 through 15. Follow in your Bibles or up on the screen. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection be reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? According to verse 11, The Christ-rejecting Jewish people have stumbled. The Greek word which is translated stumble can equally be translated err, E-R-R, err. And who have the Jewish persons stumbled or erred over? Jesus Christ. You ever notice that? That Jesus Christ either makes a person mad or glad. There's not a lot of neutrality with Jesus Christ. He either makes you mad if you reject him or glad if you embrace him by faith. Verse 11 is teaching that the Christ-rejecting Jewish people have stumbled or erred over Jesus Christ. If we go back to chapter 9, verses 30 to 33, let's just have a little review there. 9, 30 to 33, what shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith, but Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled, same word, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, going back to chapter 11, where we started, according to chapter 11, verse 11, what has not happened to Christ-rejecting Jews? What has not happened to Jews who reject Jesus Christ? What does verse 11 of chapter 11 teach us? Let's see. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. 
according to the verse 11, what has not happened to Christ rejecting Jews is they have not fallen beyond God's ability to recover them. They're not written off by God. They're not disposable. All the promises that God made to the Jews in the Old Testament have not been subsumed and overtaken by Gentile realization of those promises. God is not finished with Israel. God is not finished with respect to saving Jews that will come to Jesus Christ as Savior. So what has not happened to Christ-rejecting Jews? They've not fallen beyond God's grace to be able to recover them in Christ. Now let's look at the verses again, 11 to 15. You know I like to repeat verses so they get into our heads and hearts. I say then, did they not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. Verse 15. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Question. In Romans 11, verses 2 to 15, how is jealousy presented? Do these verses present jealousy as a bad thing or as a good thing? These verses consistently portray jealousy in this context as being a good thing. How so? How could jealousy be a good thing? According to verses 12 to 15, the good that comes out of Jewish jealousy over Gentiles becoming God's people too is that some Jews will get saved by transferring their belief and trust to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Second part of verse 14. Let's read the whole thing. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. Jealousy in this context, in this teaching of Jew and Gentile salvation, jealousy in this context is a good thing. God uses it. For when Jews see Goyim, Gentiles, getting in on the blessings of salvation through Jesus Christ, they will become jealous. And in the course of becoming jealous of saved Gentiles, some of them will flock to Jesus Christ and trust him alone to be their savior. That's a good thing. Now watch this now. God giving his riches to believing non-Jews, we call ourselves Gentiles, will bother some Jewish people who think that they are the only ones who can fly first class in the aircraft called salvation that there are Gentiles in the plane makes them angry, jealous. But God can use that and does use that to draw precious Jewish people to Jesus, to his cross work, to his empty tomb. Maybe you know some Jewish people have come to Christ for salvation, I do. So God giving his riches in salvation to believing non-Jews bothers some unbelieving Jews. So what riches do non-believing Jews see in us as Gentiles who are saved? Well, I hope the following. 
and enjoyment of God. Forgiveness. Received and forgiveness dished out. Peace. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with our neighbors, peace with our brothers and sisters in the local assembly. What blessings of salvation that we Gentiles have through Christ ought to make the non-believing Jew jealous? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Those wonderful attributes of the Spirit of God producing on the branches of our lives for the refreshment and nourishment of people who need Jesus Christ all around us. Loving and obeying God and being blessed in the process. Jews not yet in Christ should see in Gentiles who are in Christ all of these blessings that salvation confers upon us and they should become jealous. Is that how you're living? They should see that since we've been given grace to forgive us our sins, we give grace. We don't fight at the cash register about a refund. We don't sit on our horn for 12 feet of pavement in traffic. We accept failure and shortcoming with forgiveness and tolerance and encouragement in people around us. This week, someone said to me, Pastor, you made a mistake. I said, you want to know what? I make lots of mistakes. That's why there's an eraser on my pencil. <laughs> I make all kinds of mistakes. We got to be big-hearted toward people, kind, compassionate, patient, long-suffering. And when Jewish people see that in Gentiles, because of Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior, they can get jealous over what Jesus has made us to be. There's more. There's a flip side of the coin. Jewish belief in Jesus for salvation will result in them being made just as spiritually alive from the dead as Gentiles are made spiritually alive from the dead. Ephesians 2, 1, for you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Whether you're Jewish or Gentile, before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then when it says in verse 15, for their rejection, the Jews' rejection be the reconciliation of the world. The reconciliation of the world is Gentiles turning to Christ for salvation after the gospel was first preached to the Jews. And then it says, life from the dead in 15 as well. For if their rejection be reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Life from the dead is regeneration. We were dead in trespass and sin, but when we trusted Jesus Christ to be our Savior, the Holy Spirit came and enlivened our dead spirit, making it response, responsive to God, responsive to the Holy Spirit, responsive to the Scriptures. And that same regenerating work of the Holy Spirit that has been done on us as Gentiles will also be done on the Jews who turn to Jesus Christ in faith and believe upon him. Now, Paul had a very unexpected, unorthodox plan to move more of his Jewish compatriots to faith in Christ for salvation. And here was his plan. It was to magnify, to ramp up, to increase the intensity of his gospel outreach to Jews. See in verse 13, 14? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to, of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. I magnify my ministry. 
if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. Paul said, I have a strategy from God. I'm going to ramp up and increase my outreach to Jewish people, to Gentiles, excuse me, so the Jewish people become jealous. That's what he did. God used him to write 60% of the New Testament to plant Gentile churches all around the Mediterranean basin. He ramped up his ministry to the Gentiles. Now, let's step back. Let's step back from what we've said so far. Let's step back, and I want to get at more of an aerial view here, okay? I want to get a bigger picture. So let's step back. Now, follow with me. The church was born in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after resurrection. Before that, there was no church. But the church of Jesus Christ was born in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And from the birth of that church, right on through to the present time, God continues in his eternal plan to save both Jews and Gentiles who will believe in his son. Currently, in this church age, when whosoever will may come to Christ, currently, the more Gentiles who are saved, the more Jews who will be saved. Because Gentile salvation and its salvation blessings tend to move unbelieving Jews to jealousy to have what they see as reality in the lives and homes and churches of believing Gentiles. Let me illustrate. You give a toy at Christmas to two of your children. They're close enough in age that you give the exact same toy to two of your children hoping they'll both enjoy it. The second child rejects the toy, finding it boring. You talk to the child about it and say, you really don't want this toy. No, I don't want this toy. It's boring. So you tell the child, I will take the toy then and give it to a child who wants it. Meanwhile, the first child that also got the same toy finds an incredibly creative, unique, novel way to use the toy that the second child never thought of. And the child who keeps the toy, loves the toy, has a blast with this toy, thinks it's the greatest gift of Christmas. What happens? The second child gets to whining and begging for his toy back that it won't be given away to someone else who will like it. You see, jealousy builds a desire for that toy. The child who said, I don't want the toy, it's boring, becomes zealous to have the toy when he sees his sibling using the toy in a way he never thought to use it and finding great pleasure in it. I want to get personal. I just wonder what God would do if you would intentionally love a Jew on New Providence. I just wonder what God would do if I would show the love of Jesus Christ to a Jewish person that's in my life, a business associate, a neighbor. I wonder what God would do. Milton Lindbergh, who wrote the book Witnessing to Jews, has a quote that I'll share with you. At a meeting of the Hebrew Christian Alliance of America, let me interject, that's a gathering of Messianic converted Jews. 
At a meeting of the Hebrew Christian Alliance of America, 93% said they were aroused to consider the claims of Christ because some Gentile Christian showed them love. Before you go to bed tonight, before you put your head on the pillow for an overnight sleep, could you get on your knees and ask God to show you a Jew to love with his love? God will show you a Jewish person if you pray for that. And then you can ask God, how do I show love to her? How do I show love to him? God will show you. Doors will open. New ideas will come to you. Let me wrap this up. First, by way of review, I think there are four main points we've seen taught in these verses. Number one, God's chosen Jewish people got in on salvation first. Number two, God always planned that his salvation would be go beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. Number three, by God's design, Gentile conversions prompt Jewish conversions due to the Jews getting jealous over Gentiles being saved. Fourth, currently, the more Gentiles being saved leads to more Jews being saved. Those are the main points of the verses. Now, two applications, because we never want to merely get smarter in the Bible, we want the Bible to change how we live. Two applications. Number one, make sure that your witnessing is as big and as broad as God's heart to save people. Make sure your witnessing is as big and as broad as is God's heart to save persons. Persons that aren't like you, maybe. The homeless, the mentally ill, the incarcerated, those who have AIDS, prostitutes, thieves, Haitians, the addicted, those caught up in occults, atheists. You've heard of the down and out? There's a much bigger problem with the up and out. The people who have so much money, they trust their money to give them a good life and a good eternity. Don't forget to witness Christ to the up and outs. And don't forget to share Christ with the Jews. In the first church I pastored in Canada, there was an exciting day in the town of 5,000 people. The then sitting Prime Minister of Canada, Brian Mulroney, and his entourage came to our town and visited our high school. The Prime Minister and some of his cabinet ministers and bodyguards and so forth came to the high school. And two of our church's young people were on the student council of the high school, so they got to meet with the Prime Minister of Canada. Do you know what they did? They shared the gospel with the Prime Minister of Canada. They told them the way of salvation with the bodyguards and the cabinet ministers going. Make sure your witnessing is as big and as broad as is the heart of God to save persons.
Second application. Live a Christian life that persons watching you are jealous for what you have in Christ. Live a Christian life such that persons are jealous as they watch you because they don't have Jesus yet. In the last church I pastored, there was a young man, exceptionally gifted athlete, and his sport was baseball. He was a pitcher, and he got a scholarship to a prominent baseball college on the East Coast of the United States near New York City. And in his rookie year, they would travel to do tournaments and games in baseball, of course, and they pulled into a parking lot. The whole team, the whole coaching staff were in this large touring bus. And they pulled in the parking lot and parked, and the coach said, we're going to have lunch in Hooters. Hooters is a sports bar where the women are immodestly dressed. And my friend, 19 years old, rookie on the baseball team, on a scholarship, sat in his seat. And everybody slowly got off the bus to go into Hooters to eat, and Tim sat there. The coach noticed eventually and said, what you doing? He said, I'm sitting here. Why? I can't go in there, sir. Where are you going to eat? I don't know, sir. I guess I won't eat, but I'm not going in there. Coach kind of stormed off the bus to go in the restaurant. And less than a minute later, here comes the coach and all of these teammates of this young man get back on the bus. The coach said, we win as a team, we lose as a team, and we eat lunch as a team. One 19-year-old Christian lived his Christian life under the pressure of peer pressure and the flesh, such that the coach was jealous of his relationship with Jesus Christ. You can do that. I can do that. Let's do that. Let's live so sold out to Jesus Christ, so filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, so obedient to the scriptures, so loving with God's love that people look at you and say, I want what she has. I need what he has. And then tell them about Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are sovereign in salvation. You are for Jews and you are for Gentiles. We thank you, Father, that uh, you've chosen your people and through them that you've given us Jesus and his humanity. And you've planned salvation going far beyond Jews to the Gentiles. We thank you, Lord, that by your design, when we respond to the gospel and believe on Jesus for salvation, that some Jewish persons are watching us and they can get jealous. Lord, make them jealous for you. May they want you. May they want salvation. May they want forgiveness. May they want grace. May they want hope for heaven. And Lord, may we also be faithful to share the truth with Gentiles because we know the more Gentiles turn to Christ in this church age, the more Jews will down the road. Bless this assembly. Bless the incredible body of Christ, Lord. 
Make our love to be so broad that it's as big as your love for people that we otherwise might not think about sharing our faith with. And Lord, make the consistency and the quality of our lives live for you to be so winsome, so beautiful, so inexplicable that those without the Savior would want who we have. And we pray this in the Lord Jesus' name together. Amen.